I'm going to start a new sermon series today. It's a three-part sermon series on generosity. And before you tune out and say, oh no, we're going to listen to three weeks of the pastor talking about money. That is not going to be the case. Because money is the least valuable gift that God has given you. Now, yes, we are going to talk about money because we're going to talk about time, talent, and treasure. But we're going to start by talking about time. Because money is the least valuable thing that you'll ever have, it's going to be the last thing we talk about. Winston Churchill said this, you make a living by what you get. And as Americans, we seem to, to understand that very well. We want, and we just keep feeding ourselves and getting newer this, newer that, newer this, filling new cars, new whatever, the latest the phone, the latest whatever. That is making a living. But you make a life by what you give with, from what God has blessed you. So today, again, we're going to be talking about your most valuable possession, your time. So, have you ever asked this question? How does God look at time? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What does God think about time? Because he lives in a place where it's never going to run out. Okay, but how does he look at it? Well, as Pastor Dave read earlier in Genesis 1 through 5, and we're going to recap verses 4 and 5, this is what it says. It says, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The, this is the first 24 hours ever. And who created it? God. And that was before, that's God's idea before the fall, not after the fall. He didn't say, ah, after the fall I'm going to invent time. No, before the fall, he invents time. So you have to realize it's God's idea. Time is God's idea, not our idea. God's idea. And our, our time is limited. You only have so much. That's why it's the most valuable possession you can have. I could lose every bit of money that I have today... And I can go home and make some more. But I'm not going to get any more time. Our time is limited. Let's see what Job says. Job said this, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. God has given everyone a limited amount of time on this earth. Some people get a few days, few hours. Some people get a hundred years. But we're all allotted 
by God a certain amount of time. God knows when I'm going to die. See, you do realize that you only have so much time, because I think we don't. Especially the younger generation don't realize right now how much time is limited. There is, there is and will always be only 24 hours in a day. We're not going to stretch that out, okay? That is 1,440 minutes you have in a day. Uh, or if you want seconds, it's 86,400 seconds. That's a day. We only have so many days. You know, I've been alive to talk about time. 18,328 days or 2,618 weeks. I've, I, I figured this out and go, wow. If I'm lucky enough to live till I'm 80, or unlucky enough, depending, I only have 10,892 days left to live. That is 1,556 weeks. And that's if I make it to 80. Makes you think. What am I going to do with the time that God has given me? Because only God, when it comes to time, knows how much I have and you have. And do you know what God wants you to do with your time? Do you know how God wants you to use your time? God wants us to use the time he gives us for his glory because he created all of us for his glory. Whether you want to believe that or not, you were created to glorify God. Now, whether you do that or not, that's a different story. But that's what we were created for. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, and that whatever means whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do you do everything to the glory of God, or do you do it to fill your pleasure? I've got a lot of friends that that were addicts, and when they were chasing their high, They were doing it for their glory and their pleasure. It didn't probably turn out that way. But that's why they picked up the drink. That's why they picked up the needle. That's why they picked up a pipe, whatever it is. They did it to fill their pleasure. But God is saying we should do everything to his pleasure. Last night, I was lucky enough because God blesses blessed me with a fillet that I could grill on my grill. And my wife, so me and my wife had a fillet and mushrooms, because I love mushrooms, because God is a good God, and he makes uh, good stuff. So when I, when I cook that steak and eat that steak, I could just eat that piece of meat and go, wow, that tastes good. Because I think you could be a non-Christian and enjoy a good steak, Okay. But I think as a Christian, we should enjoy it 
more because we know where it came from. You see, you have to understand that everything you do, you have to turn the glory back to God. Everything should be glorifying him. Everything in your life. So, let's take a look at a story Jesus, was, Jesus told. See, the Good Samaritan. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Luke 10, 25. We're going to start in verse 25. And this is what happened. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So obviously, this lawyer, this man, knew the scripture. Okay? And he, so Jesus is going to play what Jesus does. Jesus asks, Answers a question with a question. He says, well, what does the Bible say? How do you interpret what the Bible says? And this is what he said. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But, just like all of us, that's not good enough. So what does the lawyer say? He says, but, he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, he asks, who is his neighbor? John McCarthy said this, God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, the plants to give. He also designed his supreme creation, man, to give. But fallen man is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. Because we're reluctant givers, that's why the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? Let's, let's define this. Is this the person that actually lives next to me on each side? Or what is my neighbor? They're key questions. So let's take, take a look at the first one. How do I get eternal life? Jesus sums up the entire law with Deuteronomy 6.5. Well, the lawyer answers Jesus with the, the entire law, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. This is how he sums it up. He says, you shall love your Lord, the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That was Deuteronomy 6.5. This is where he gets his answers from. Then in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, we have to remember, and we've been harping this on for a long time as a church, that what does love mean? Love means to highly value somebody. So when the Bible talks about love, it's talking about highly valuing God for who he is, 
And it's talking about highly valuing your neighbor for who they are. And then the question is, well, who's my neighbor then? If that's what I have to do, who's my neighbor? Or how do I show love to my neighbor? Jesus, being Jesus, because Jesus did this a lot, now he's answered questions with questions. Now he says, let me tell you a story. Come in and listen to the story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 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 and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. See, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So, the story, a man, a man. It doesn't say he's Jewish. He doesn't say he's Samaritan, does he? Jesus uses a bit of Jesus here, he just puts a man there. And he says, a man is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho when he falls asleep into the robber's hands. Just a regular man. He could have been Jewish, he could have been Samaritan. Then, a priest passes the injured man. And we, let's get this fair. The priest and the Levite really get a bad rap. They really do get a bad rap because the priest is on the way down from Jerusalem. So he's been to Jerusalem. Why do you think he went to Jerusalem? He cleansed himself and went to the temple. So now, according to Jewish law, he touches this man who's bloody and beaten and thinks is dead probably, would make him unclean. So he walks by. I'm not saying he, he was justified in what he did. But, but you could see why he did what he did. And again, the Levite man does the same thing. He passes by the injured man. Now the Levite was, wouldn't have been a wealthy man, but he would have still had to cleanse himself. Okay, So he probably had to give his offering was all he had. 
And now he sees this man. He doesn't have anything else to turn around and go back and cleanse himself. So he passes by. Again, I'm not justifying what he does because I think what he does is wrong. I'm saying in their head, they had legitimate reasons not to waste their time. But then a Samaritan, he uses his time generously. He passes the, pass, the, the, the this, this man who they don't, he doesn't know. Jesus doesn't say whether that's a Jew or a Samaritan in the ditch. He never does. We don't know. He was naked. You see, if he had clothes on, that's why Jesus made him naked, by the way. Because if he had clothes on, just like if we go to a different country, people dress differently. So you can tell where they live by what they wear. Okay? Especially in them days. It would have been a cultural thing. But this man is naked in a ditch. He's got no identification. It was all took from him. Everything he had was gone. He was naked. So this Samaritan could have been, well, he could be a Jew. I ain't stopping to see if he's alive. But he does stop because he uses his time generously. The Samaritan's response is a one of compassion. See, we can, we, can, we can walk by. How many times do we walk by stuff that we should probably say some or speak up? How many times? How many times do we post stuff but not act on stuff? We can waste our time scrolling through social media, but we, do, we don't respond the, to make changes. We waste our time. I could have used this text for all three weeks, by the way. Because the Samaritan uses his time, his talents, and his money. And I think if you get generosity, if you get generosity, you will start using your time, talent, and treasure to glorify the king. I really believe that. So the Samaritan bandages the man's wounds. He takes, band- he takes whatever he's got. He probably has to rip clothes or whatever because he's just traveling. Whatever's in his bag, you know, he uses, bandages them up, cleans the wounds with probably uh, wine vinegar to make them clean, checks the man, and then he, he puts him on the, his animal and has to walk now. So do you think this is putting a damper in his plans? He had to go somewhere. He said, wait a minute, I know I had plans. I know I had plans, but I'm going to stop and my plans can wait. This is an emergency, I need to act. I need to use my time wisely. So I put, my, I put him on an animal, and takes, he takes care of him. So now he's got to take his time. He goes to the inn. The Samaritan then pays for the innkeeper to care for him. So not only does the Samaritan put him on his horse, bandage him up, clean his wounds, bandage him up, put him on his horse, take time to walk there, but now he goes to the innkeeper, and pays the innkeeper to use his time 
to care for the man until he can return. So I want to ask you this question. I said all that to say this. How do you use your time generously? And I'm talking about generously for God. I want to hear when I die, well done, good and faithful service servant. You, you used your time, money, and talents that I gave you, all of which I would not have if God didn't give me. I was just talking to somebody last week about work, and I said, I've been blessed. Now, I think I've got too much work, but that's blessed by the way. And I think I've got a lot of that work because I'm pretty good at what I do. I'm pretty good at what I do. So people hire me, okay? But who made me good? Because this is one question. I said to the person, I said, I'm blessed. Do you know why I'm blessed? Because I wouldn't be able to do any of it without the, the, the gifts that God has given me. He's given me the time to be able to learn the gifts. And he blessed me. Why did he bless me? So I could keep it all for myself? I don't think so. I don't think he gave me all this time to just keep it to myself. And I really believe that my time is the most valuable thing I have. You see, first of all, if you want to use your time to, to glorify God, you have to care. You have to care. You have to care whether the person believes what you believe or don't believe what you believe. You have to care. The only thing that's ever going to change this world in any way is to start by caring. See, the, the, the good Samaritan, he showed compassion. How much compassion have you shown this week? Or have you just complained about the world and how bad it is? I've got a shirt that says, Rockford doesn't suck. You do. And you know why I bought it? Because my wife said, that's not appropriate for you to walk around in because you're a pastor. And I said, actually it is. Because I actually read it like, Rockford doesn't suck. You do. Meaning, the reason Rockford sucks is because you don't care about Rockford. That's why people say, well, you could say that about anything. If you don't care about something and you're not passionate about it, you complain about it. Because it's not about, if it, you, you, we take it, well, that's wasting my time. That's doing this. This isn't, it's all about me. We internalize everything. See, God the Father regularly demonstrates compassion. In Psalm 78, 3 through 4, it says this, Things that he, we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have God's word is because people cared and wanted us to hear the stories 
of what God has done, how much compassion God has shown on this world. And ultimately, Jesus demonstrates compassion. In Matthew 14, 14, he says this, When we went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Do you think Jesus had better things to do? Because I do. Jesus would always stop. Jesus would be walking down the street, and he would stop and heal somebody. And I'm sure his 12 disciples were like, man, we've got to be in Jericho. We've got to be here. 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 Come on, Jesus, stop Stop talking to these people. We've got to go. We've got somewhere to be. You've got to become the king. But Jesus always stopped and took the time to show compassion on people and heal them. Not only he sacrificed ultimately time, because he did not have to leave heaven to save the wicked human race. But he did. And he used his time on earth to show who he was. The Bible tells us that we are to do likewise. Colossians 3, tw- 3 verse 12 says this. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, I don't always have a compassionate heart. So this is probably a scripture I should write on and put it everywhere that I could see. Because we're supposed to be compassionate all the time, not just some of the time. Showing kindness. That is sacrificing. Showing kindness means, I, I believe that it means I'm giving up something to help you. So I give up my time help. Humility, meekness, and patience. And that's the reason I should have this verse written everywhere. I should probably have this tattooed on me, actually, because the patience part is definitely needs to be put everywhere. So, but you must do something. So what does, we have to act. Are you ready to act? Because I'm hoping and praying that we get back to come to church on July 5th and celebrate together. But when we come back, I want to be a different church. I want to be people that want to use their time generously. You should be signing up to help do things if you want to be part of God's kingdom in John 1st John 3 16 through 17 says this by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him If we don't use our time to glorify God, are we really, can we really proudly say, 
I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Can we? I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You are a Christian. I'm not, that's not my call. That's God's call, by the way. What I'm saying is, can you proudly say, I'm a Christian? I'm not saying, because I don't think it means you're not a Christian if you're not doing this. I think Jesus died on a cross for our sins, and our sins are many. And some of them is not following God. They've been paid for. But what I'm saying is, can you proudly tell people, I'm a Christian? If you're not using your time, your talent, and your treasure for him. See, it's not enough just to care about others. You, have to act, you must act on your compassion and use your time to help them. See, that's the problem. How many times have you watched a video or you've seen something and you go, gosh, I feel so sorry for them. But you haven't done anything about it. Because it will mess up your day. It will mess your day up. You're going to go, I want it. You know, I've got to be here by this time, and if I stop and do this, it's going to mess my whole day up. See? He showed compassion, but then he could have walked by and said, oh, man, I really feel sorry for that man. That's showing compassion. But he acted on the compassion, and he used his time to help this man. We've been talking about this for a while in church too. You must partner with others. Because two are better than one. See, what he did is he went to the innkeeper and he partnered with the innkeeper. Did he pay the innkeeper? Yes, but he partnered with him. He said, I need you to be a part of this. Can you help me take care of this man? He found somebody to help. You see... Ecclesiastics 4, 9 through 12, which we've, David just got done preaching on, says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You see, the, the, the naked man was alone. He didn't have nobody to help him. Until the Samaritan come around. And then the Samaritan went to the innkeeper and he asked him for help. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord, cord is not quickly broken. See, the good Samaritan enlisted help from the innkeeper. So I want to ask you this question. Who in your past had the biggest influence? These are questions to think about this week. The biggest influence on how you use your time. Because I think we learn, it's a learned behavior how we use our time. We watch our parents, 
our friends, our grandparents, and we go, well, okay, you could have a workaholic as a dad and go, well, that must be how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to just work all the time and do nothing else. Or you could have learned from somebody who is very good with their time and they, they do their work and then they, 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 they go to church and they, they, they donate their time to helping others. I want to ask you this. When you look at your daily schedule right now, if you was to write last week's daily schedule down, what thoughts come across your mind? Does it bring you stress, excitement, and worry? And I'm going to tell you, you might have less, less alone time. You might have less time to scroll your uh, Facebook account. You might have less time to watch the TV if you use this principle. But, but I think you'll feel excited And restful. Of the three men who passed by the injured person along the road, which one do you think represents the way you respond to the needs of others? And why? Ask yourself this. What keeps you from being more generous with your time. What stops you? What are the roadblocks that need to be moved so you can be more generous with your time? What is one way that you can start right now being more generous with your time this week? Just one. You don't have to start big. I don't think you should do anything big at first, because you need to realize that it works, okay? It's just like when I became a Christian, and I'm going to use money because when I first started tithing, I tithed about 1% of what I made. Now I'm on a mission. But I started at 1%, but I seen that God took that 1% and multiplied. What if we only take 1% of our time right away and started giving it to God? What is one thing that you can do this week that you can say, this is for God. I'm going to use this to glorify the King. You'll multiply your efforts when you work with others to help people through your local church. So we need to, as, as brothers and sisters, we need to think of ways that we can come together. I know it's hard right now. Come together and work using our time to benefit other people. That's why we exist. We exist as a church. And not this building, because this is just a building. If this burns down today with everything in it, we're still a church. We're still Calvary Memorial Church. If this land was took away from us,
by the government, we are still Calvary Memorial Church. We still worship the one true God because we are a group of people, not a building. So, I challenge you to take a little bit of your time this week. Even if that time is just thinking about what could I get involved in that will give up some of my own time that I call my own time and give to God. Will I be willing if I see somebody in need to stop and help them and not just drive by because I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. If somebody asked you for a ride, even if it's somebody you know, because I think, I, I, I think there's people that need rides that you know, and you go, oh, I can't do that today because if I do that today, it's going to mess up my whole day. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a God who gave us all of the time. You gave us, you, you created it. You created the first day, God. The first 24 hours. And you gave it to us as a gift. Just like you give everything that you give us as a gift, God. It's so we can learn to give some of it back to you. And I'm not asking anybody for you to give up their time, God. But I do know this. It's not like we have to give up the time. I will probably say this every week about every topic. It, it blows my mind that we get to God because you are a loving, gracious God. That we get to give you Something that back of what you have already blessed and given to us. Because you are an amazing gift giver. An amazing God. That didn't have to give any of us one second of life. But you did. You knew how wicked our hearts were. But you still gave. Because every good gift, God, every good gift, and I believe time is a gift and it is a good gift, comes from you. I ask God that you just help us as a congregation to be more generous with our lives. To learn to be more like Jesus. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.